it was a fear that was spread out over two days, fighting, fighting to survive, uh, not being distracted by fear itself, and you know, looking up to the stars and asking them to be kind to you. Hello, and welcome to Fear Itself, with me, Cressida Bonus. In this podcast, I'll be asking people from all walks of life about fear, to find out what it can teach us about ourselves and the world around us. We'll discover how fear limits them, how it motivates them, and how they find the courage to face it head on. But before we begin, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Codex Beauty Labs. I don't know about you, but a lot of the time when I'm putting products on my skin, I don't really know how clean the ingredients actually are. Often beauty companies make these bold promises about their ingredients, only to be short on reality. But Codex Beauty Labs, on the other hand, represents what is good in the beauty industry today. What I love about Codex is their transparency and commitment to science. Their pioneering products are composed of clean and meticulously sourced ingredients and have clinically proven skincare benefits. Even more reassuring is that their wonderful founder is an award-winning PhD scientist herself. Simply put, Codex exceeds market expectations in sustainability and cleanliness. Each day, they work towards their mission to blend plant biology and biotech innovation and to create true, long-lasting plant-based biotech beauty. I'm really happy I found these wonderful products, and I highly recommend them. They smell absolutely delicious and make your skin feel silky soft. You can find Codex at codexbeauty.com. My guest today is one of the world's most iconic entrepreneurs, Richard Branson. Richard's career, mindset and outlook on life is defined by fearlessness. In this episode, we find out how a screw-it-let's-do-it attitude helped him fight fear and shyness to launch Virgin Atlantic. He shares a gut-wrenching account of one of his many death-defying exploits, and we discover how Richard feels about going into space. Just as a quick note, however, this episode was recorded before Richard's spaceflight. Richard's mum, Eve, sadly passed away recently from covid I was lucky enough to meet her a couple of times and I remember hoping that one day I'd have the same lust for life that she did. For Richard, his mum was a great source of inspiration for dealing with fear and everything life throws at you. So to start, I wanted to pay tribute to Richard's wonderful mother. Well, first of all, thank you. She, she always said that um, if you're at a party, you should go out while you're on top and, and she certainly did that. From a very young age, she very much wanted me to be doing things and not not watching other people doing things and and she wasn't a mother who said no she always said yes so I mean age six I think people know about this or some people know about this she she shoved me out of my car the car on the way to my grandmother's house and you know made me walk the two miles across the country uh, to get there with the belief that that would help me stand on my own two feet and if I got lost you know that I would somehow cope with it I think today she would have, she would have got arrested for doing such a thing, but yeah. um, you know, but she was a great believer in that. Um, you know, if it was pouring as rain and and you know we were traveling fifty miles somewhere, she would tell me that she I couldn't get in the car; I had to go on the bike. Um, and you know, I might have kicked a bit at the time, but you know, looking back on it, it it was definitely a a fun way of being brought up, and you know, I thank her for it. 
I suppose my life has been the richer for it and full of adventure. And, you know, I think my, my biggest difficulty in life is saying no to anything. So if anybody has, has an idea or a challenge or something, and, you know, I think because of my upbringing, I'm almost always say yes. Yes. I, I don't have, um, as you know, Richard, I, I don't have children, but I do hope to one day and I'd really like to instill that in them, you know, saying yes and instilling courage in them. And I do believe that our childhood fears is one of the things that can really shape who we are today. And I'm curious to know if there was a childhood fear that has stayed with you. It's funny, you know, I, I, I never can remember bad bad things in life I can only remember good things it's another trait I think that my parents taught me I had some nice I remember you know I had wonderful dreams of um, being able to flap my arms and being able to fly and and I suppose they you know those dreams became reality which was um, in in more ways than one you know maybe as as a very young person I was I I was afraid of of, um, if if my mum ever (laughs) told me to go and stand on stage and perform I found that tough and she would tell us that we were being selfish if we didn't you know we were just thinking of ourselves we weren't and and we had to try to project ourselves and and that helped me overcome that although it took it actually took you know took me into my early 20s before I mastered the art of not being thoroughly nervous every time I opened my mouth I remember aged um, 16 doing my first interview on Radio 4 and the interviewer uh, sent me two tapes afterwards. Uh, one was longer than the other. And the one that was the longest was all my ers and ums um, that he'd, he'd spliced out. And and the other one was actually quite eloquent because he'd cut out all the ers and ums. Um, yeah. But by and large, I, um, I managed to uh, you know, g- uh, get over that uh, slight shyness. Um, well, and, and some people will laugh when they think of Richard Branson as as being shy you know but you can uh, you can train yourself to overcome it i mean one you know the what the way i tell people uh, when they ask how how do you do public interviews say on television or something it, I, I would advise them not to think that there's thousands of people out there listening to them but just think that they're sitting in a living room having a chat with some friends and and you know that that definitely helped me so now when you do interviews and, you know, you have to go around the world and do all these talks, is it, has it got easier or do you still have a, have a little bit of that nervous uh, feeling when you go up and talk? Uh, it's got a lot easier. I mean, I, most of my life now is spent, you know, when I'm traveling, um, doing talks, raising money for different foundations. And I, I normally don't do a formal talk where you, you know, stand and <laughs> read from a sheet of paper. I, I, do it as a sort of question and answer session on stage or interact with the audience and and I thoroughly enjoy it and you know I'm lucky I've got I've got a lot of stories to tell because I've lived a long age and lived a full life and and I think it's important that you know people who are lucky enough to have led successful careers that they you know they share their thoughts they share their ideas to help others who are you know, striving to be successful themselves, or want, want you know want, want to do things slightly differently, and yeah, so I, I think I've overcome the fear and throw myself into it, and and make sure I enjoy it, and and if I'm enjoying it, then it's and and it's likely that the audience will enjoy it too. 
Because I wonder sometimes if there is, I, I can be very shy and I hate it. I just want to sort of sometimes get rid of it because it gets in the way. And I wonder sometimes if there is a bit of fear in shyness. Um, and it was interesting you were saying about the spotlight and, and getting used to it because you have done these. I've, I've just finished reading, Richard, your latest autobiography, Finding My Virginity. And you have done these amazing PR stunts and which are very much in the spotlight. So I'm wondering, does your ambition override that, that fear? I was about um, 27 years old and hadn't done, uh, I mean, I'd done some press, but not, not a ton of press, and, and uh, decided <laughs> to launch an airline, Virgin Atlantic. And, and I had lunch with Sir Freddie Laker, who had an airline before us and that had gone bankrupt and had been pushed out of business by British Airways. And, and he said, you know, Richard, the, you know, the best bit of advice I can give you, you've got one secondhand 747 competing with British Airways 300 planes, you're never going to be able to out advertise them. You know, you've just got to use yourself, you know, make a fool of yourself, make sure you get on the front pages of the, pa the papers, you know, dress up as a pilot when you turn up at the plane carry people out on the wings and turn them upside down. What, whatever it takes, you use yourself to try to put Virgin Atlantic on the map. And, um, and if you do it in a fun way that, and make people smile, you know, then, then it'll work. And yeah, so I gave it a go. And I soon found it was, it, it was great fun. Initially, the headlines would be, you know, Branson this and Branson that. But in time, fortunately, Virgin became the brand that was on, on the map. And I used myself to build a global brand and had fun doing so. And, you know, the, the press can be painful, but they, they can also be, by and large, if you work with them, they, you know, they, they can be helpful. Now, obviously, uh, the press have less, you know, less say than, than when I started and social media has become much more powerful and much more, much more important. But, um, Without doing things like that, I think you know Virgin would would not have survived in our battles with the likes of you know much bigger companies, British Airways, than the likes. Um, so it's helped. Do you ever have those demon doubting voices, or, or did you when you were setting up the airline? You know, was there a time when you have doubted yourself, and if you have, how do you not let that get in the way? My approach to life is. You know, I mean, for instance, if I set up a new company, I don't ask accountants to come along and tell me, you know, whether it's going to make money or not. I do it completely on instinct. I do it completely on if I can create, you know, an airline or a cruise company or I don't know, space company, whatever, which is palpably better than all the competitors. There should be enough people going to use it because they like it. And, and therefore, at the end of the year, there should be more money coming in than going out. And I've never really gone into something thinking, you know, how can I make a lot of money out of this? I think, you know, that doesn't really work. You've just got to throw yourself in thinking, you know, with, with the airline, wouldn't it be fun to try to create the kind of airline that I would find it was fun to fly on, you know, that offered lots of things that the other airlines didn't offer, you know, because, you know, we had seatback videos where Brit British Airways didn't, we had stand-up bars, we had wonderful people working there who really enjoyed what they were doing and so on. You know, instead of just having one second and seven for seven within a year, we had three 
and then you know, within two years, six, and, and it grew. And it became the alternative, Virgin Atlantic became the alternative to, to British Airways. Um, and that's, you know, that's the, that, that's the approach I've done in you know, really many companies over the years is, is see a market that is not being catered for very well by others. Throwing myself in the deep end, you know, I mean, like with Virgin Atlantic, we set ourselves the challenge of setting it up uh, within four months of coming up with the idea um, in order to get the, the income from the summer. Uh, and we you know, just worked day and night. And, we, we, and yes, we sweated uh, on occasions, um, but somehow or another we pulled it all together. And, and 37 years later, even despite this pandemic, uh, Virgin Atlantic is still going. And after this pad- pandemic, I'm sure we'll come out the stronger. And I wanted to ask you because, you know, you, you, you do go into almost every industry and you shake it up and you um, make it cutting edge, you make it better. What would you say is your greatest motivation? I think the satisfaction of, of, make it, of really making a difference. I think, the, you know, I think if you're lucky enough in life to have succeeded in one thing, then it's obviously much easier than to move on to other things and you, you'll learn so much from that first thing that you know that first entrepreneurial venture you do you know you'll learn the art of delegation you'll learn the art of motivating people and inspiring people and praising people and not criticizing them and so on so my my motivation is twofold really at the moment one is to continue to create new ventures that stand out and make a real difference to people's lives and then to use the resources um, that we make from those ventures to build not-for-profit ventures uh, to try to tackle the problems of the world. So to be, uh, you know, to be an, an entrepreneur for the world as, as, as well as being an entrepreneur to you know, create things that we can be proud of. And, and so you know, we spend a lot of time you know, building organizations which we run just like a company, the elders, the oceanic elders, the, the carbon war room, the Global Drug Commission, and so on and so on, that are out there, um, you know, the B team, tackling some of the big issues of the world. And as you have got older, has that become more on the sort of forefront of your um, motivation, ambition, if you like, to, 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 you know, with the elders and everything, to tackle these world problems? Is that more the focus now? I mean, apart from space, which I definitely want to get to later, but... <laughs> Does that feel like it's more of a, for you, more important now? Well, you can't uh, have one without the other. So, you know, in, in the last 12 months, I've obviously had to spend a lot of time, like everybody who's in business, you know, firefighting, or, you know, pretty well all our businesses have been grounded because of COVID. But at the same time, uh, our foundation work has been even more important. So at least once a week, we've been convening uh, meetings um, of you know quite a large group of people to try to make sure that places like Africa don't get don't end up last in the queue for vaccines and the wonderful lady called Jean Orwang who runs our foundation has been leading uh, leading the charge on that and the, the various organizations like the elders and, and the business the business version of the elders the B team you know have, have been taking the charge on things like climate change and and, and numerous other issues that are going on in the world so the resources that we get from um, the Virgin Group enable us to fund these other organisations with partners. And, you know, I think it's a, there's a reasonable balance. And, and obviously now, Richard, at this time, the, 
you know, Virgin is um, facing its challenges like so many businesses are. How have you how have you managed in, in this time with that? Oh, it's been um, tough for everybody. I mean, I, I can't think of any, anybody who could be listening to this program who won't have gone through tough times. So we have had to fight to keep as many jobs as possible. You know, I mean, the, 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 week, the week COVID hit, we launched our first cruise ship, you know, instead of a fanfare of great publicity for a great, a really fantastic ship. There was a fanfare of people being stuck on cruise ships with COVID, and we've had to mothball that. And and the second cruise ship that's now now built, uh, obviously, you know, Virgin Atlantic, most of its planes have been grounded for for twelve months. Um, and so, you know, basically, our teams um, in each of the various Virgin companies have just had to buckle down and um, fight day and night to try to protect as many jobs as possible, and try to protect the companies so that. You know, once we come out of COVID, um, they can bring back people that have lost their jobs in the process and keep keep the various companies going. I sometimes wonder, Richard, if not having that fear of failure is is at the heart of being an entrepreneur and even success. And and what I really want to know is is do you fear failure? And and what is the failure you have learned from the most? Because I really believe that even though failing is very hard, but we do learn from it. Well, look, I think a good, first of all, a good entrepreneur must protect the downside. You know, if I, if, if, if I again use Virgin Atlantic as an example, when we decided to uh, launch Virgin Atlantic, we had a very successful record company and everybody who was working in the record company were understandably incredibly nervous that I'd bring the record company crashing to its feet um, because if the airline didn't work out, you know, so I did a deal with Boeing whereby I could hand the plane, the 747 back after the first 12 months if if the airline didn't work out and if people didn't actually enjoy the airline. Um, and that enabled me to know that, that I'd protected the downside, that I'd give it my best shot. Uh, but if it didn't work out, I could bow out gracefully. Um, if one tries something and you know you work day and night to try to make sure that it it succeeds and it doesn't succeed then i'm i'm lucky i mean the, the next day after it hasn't worked out i can almost forget forget about it and move on to the next thing there's absolutely you know i mean the old saying don't don't cry over spilt milk is right it's it's spilt you can't do anything about it as long as you tried to do everything you can to avoid spilling it you know, move, move on, move forward, uh, put it behind you, learn, learn from it. And you'll find that, you know, the, the new challenges may be even more exciting, even more rewarding. So, you know, I know it's easier said than done um, to people who are listening to this program who may have just been through all this, but, um, but that, that would be my advice to them. Mm, thank you, Richard, for that. And it seems though, as, as though that there is, a, you know, risks in taking these big leaps. Um, and for you, your risks do sometimes seem calculated and a lot of the time they do seem to pay off and I, and I believe a lot of this must come down to to intuition which is something that interests me you know how do we listen to our intuition and, and how do you listen to your intuition when you're, you're taking these risks and making these big leaps? I think it's, in, it's intuition based on uh, based on experience so the best businesses often are, are derived from frustrations that people have 
when dealing with other people's com- other companies, and, and you know they end up saying, <laughs> uh, "Screw it, let's do it." I'll, you know, I'll, I can I can do it better. Let, let let's give it a go. I think on the on the back of my first magazine uh, that I published when I was sixteen, I I put something like the, the the cautious may, sorry, the brave may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. And you know, and I really believe that. I think you know, I'm somebody who you know would have a great difficulty sitting back watching somebody else doing something that somebody had invited me to do. I'd much rather be, even if, even if it's slightly risky, um, up there doing it myself. Uh, and I think, yeah, the like is definitely the richer for it. And I've got a few more stories to tell the grandkids as a result. Yeah. And Richard, because of your, your very daring lifestyle, you've encountered things in your life most of us would definitely find terrifying. You entered the history books with the first successful transatlantic crossing in a hot air balloon and again had a very close brush with death. I think you've had, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you've had 76 near-death experiences. And I think my listeners would love to hear the story, which, um, yeah, does sound terrifying. Yeah, I, I, um, I've been very lucky, basically. <laughs> Uh, and, and I suspect when it comes to the personal adventures, um, maybe margin, marginally foolish, um, young and foolish. Um, yeah, so we, we, we had um, broken the record for the fastest crossing in a boat. We'd sunk the first time. Um, we'd been successful the second time. And then somebody came to me and said, um, you know, how about trying to cross the Atlantic in a hot air balloon? Nobody's ever done it before. So um, I spent a week l- learning to fly a balloon you know, climbed in this balloon in Sugarloaf, Maine, um, with a very experienced balloonist. And um, we headed off across the Atlantic and we, we, we got up into the jet stream. We were flying at tremendous speeds. And basically, pretty well everything that could go wrong went wrong, uh, <laughs> including uh, the ending where we ended up in the North Sea. And worse still, my fellow balloonist, who was the experienced one, jumped into the sea and the balloon soared back up to 10,000 feet. And I was, I ended up on my own, being pretty sure that this was the last few few minutes of my life. Uh, my son made a documentary called Don't Look Down, which um, talks about you know, the Atlantic and the Pacific crossing and so on. And... Um, so I won't, I won't spoil the ending, but, um, but I suppose the fact that I'm talking to you, I must have got out of it somehow. <laughs> yeah. And when you, when you said that you were, you were very close to death and thought that you might die, what was going through your head at that time? Very lonely feeling. Um, the, I mean, I, I had to move very quickly, but I sat down and just wrote a, a, a quick note telling Joan, Holly and Sam how much I loved them. And then quickly pulled myself together and you know just like in business just with fighting to survive fighting to make sure i made the right decision i mean i would have hated to to have died having not given it given it everything to to survive and actually that was critical i mean on on that particular balloon crossing i was getting ready to parachute out into the north sea you know it was five o'clock at night the north sea is freezing cold um and almost definitely i would have i would have perished if i'd done that and i just gave myself a little bit more time to think and and ended up using the balloon as the parachute and you know brought the balloon down to um 50 feet over the north sea and then jumped into the sea and um the Branson luck came in. There was a, um, a Navy helicopter exercise taking place 
in in the region and i had a helicopter above me very very quickly and which which pulled pulled me out of the sea but um but again you just you, you know if if you're facing uh, facing um death in an adventure just uh, keep your mind focused you know fight to make the right decisions and uh, hopefully you'll come out, come through it virgin is behind so many things and now the next big frontier is space which is just amazing did you always believe you would go to space i think every teenager when the moon when when armstrong landed on the moon and and buzz aldrin um every, every teenager must have dreamt that one day they'd go to space uh and yet you know decades went by and because space is run by governments um, or was run by governments, they weren't really interested in you or me or other people going to space. So 16 years ago, I registered the name Virgin Galactic Airways and, and embarked on perhaps one, one of the biggest adventures of, of, of my lifetime. And that was uh, building spaceships to take people into space and, and building rockets uh, to go into orbit to put satellites in space. And and there's been tears in the process. There's been joy in the process, um, and you know we've had a, we've had a very successful year with um, having three successful flights into space with astronauts on on board, and now with Virgin Orbit, our other company, putting the the fir- first flight up uh, with eight nine um, satellites into space. So, so it's been it's been a long a long journey, um, but it but it's now be- finally coming to fruition, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Wow, you're really fulfilling a dream there, Richard. It's amazing. I mean, space to me is something I find difficult to comprehend, the fact that it's just never-ending. And for many people, the idea of space without limits is, is kind of a hard one to get, to get their head around, I think, because it's the, the ultimate unknown. How, how does that make you feel? I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's, it's, it's just absolutely and utterly incomprehensible <laughs> uh it's um uh, even i'm sure to the you know to the the most learned scientists um we could never fathom just how large how large space is um but space is very important to um earth and virgin galactic and virgin orbit are designed to open people's eyes on uh, to you know the beautiful planet that we live on and, and and I suspect we live on the best of the planets for you know for, for enormous distances around us you know space enables me to talk to you right now space can help us on things like climate change on uh, a whole raft of a raft of important things just communicating with each other educating ed- educating each other um, helping on medical advice and so on and so on. So, um, so it it is enormously important, and you know it's great, it's wonderful to be able to play our small part in 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 that whole process. I wonder how you're going to feel when you when you go up there. I can't even imagine. I mean, what an extraordinary thing. I think. I mean, I've been lucky enough to meet. Um, I mean, there's only 500 people who've been to space, and I've met quite a few of them, and and. Uh, there's a lovely book called The Overview Effect, you know, which is that interviews with these people and the experiences they've had and looking back on, on our beautiful, beautiful earth. And I look forward, <laughs> I look forward to adding my, 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 my paragraph or two to the overview effect and, yeah. and 
uh, yeah, it's something something that I hope a lot of people listening to this program will be able to experience in their lifetimes. I think with 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 a lot of people, people seem to have have a dream or an idea, and it's normally probably a very good idea. Um, well, sometimes a good idea, but then they don't do it because the doubt seeps in. Um, but you you don't seem to. I think I, I find that fascinating, Richard, that you don't seem to have that. You have a dream and you you go for it. And that's really amazing and inspiring. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why you inspire so many, that you, you get past the fear. Yeah, I think, I mean, it could be that, you know, I, I left school at 15 and uh, with an eye, you know, had an idea for a magazine for young people and uh, somehow managed to pull it off. And I think, you know, it's just getting through that first that first project. If you can if you can do something once, you can do it a hundred times, two hundred times, three hundred times. You know, you just you 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 learn so much from just doing doing something. And um, you know, I learned I learned about the power of people and 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 that a company is just a small group of people or a big group of people. But it, it it's all you know, company is simply a group of people and. How you look after those people, how you motivate these people, um, you know, being a good listener, taking notes, um, following through, delegating, not 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 thinking you can you should try to do it all yourself, freeing yourself up to look at the bigger the bigger picture, uh, making sure that you create the best you know the best in whatever you do. There's no point in being second best. Um, making sure that you create something that you're proud of and, and and therefore all the people who you're working with can be proud of once you once you've learned the the basics like that then um, you can go on to creating a number of different organizations and you know if we hadn't diversified i mean our first i mean after after um uh, student magazine we, we started opening record stores now record stores are no longer needed so if we hadn't diversified into mobile phones and uh, and other things um you know we wouldn't have survived um you know right now if we hadn't diversified into space we wouldn't have survived survived covid i mean so diversifying yeah can, can if you want to have a, a business for a long a long period of time is something to consider the story in your life where you've been most fearful and how you conquered it the most drawn out fear i've ever had was during a, a um, crossing of the pacific in a, a hot air balloon where um, we lost half the fuel and faced almost certain death i mean there was you know almost no way that we could we could get across from japan to america with, with um, uh, the electrical fault that lost us half our fuel and it wasn't one of those fears that was all, was just sort of very sudden. Um, it was a fear that was spread out over two two days. And again, you know, the the key thing was just fighting, fighting to survive, uh, getting right into the core of the jet stream where the winds were strongest, uh, not being distracted by fear itself, but you know, just working, trying to stay stay awake despite you know almost no sleep at all well in fact no sleep at all and you know looking up to the stars and and uh, occasionally and asking them to be kind to you and somehow on that um fearful very fearful trip um where where it really didn't look like we we're going to come back 
the winds suddenly took off and went from 50 miles an hour to 240 miles an hour and sped us across the Pacific. And, you know, we missed, missed Los Angeles by two and a half thousand miles. We're aiming for LA. We, we landed in the Arctic, um, but we landed in a snowstorm. We were the first across the Pacific. Um, but it definitely was the most fearful <laughs> two days of our lives. Yeah. Wow. And what do you say to yourself in those moments? I, I, I think not, you shouldn't really dwell on, on the worst outcome. You should, um, concentrate on everything you can do to, to survive. So, you know, the key was to try to fly the balloon right in the core of the jet stream, like, you know, being in the, in the fastest bit of the river and just keep concentrating to make sure you, you didn't drop out of that fastest current of the jet stream and um, not dwell on death and, 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 and the, the worst outcome. Mm, I loved how you said that you looked up, the star, up to the stars and asked them for help. And now you're nearly about to fly to space. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not somebody who, who knows whether uh, there's, there's somebody up there to, to guide us, um, which is why I talk about the stars. Do you think there is someone up there that's guiding us? I don't think I have the brain power to be able to know that. I mean, I'm a great believer in in us making our own achievements and doing do, doing it in a way in which we can sleep well at night and and you know have enormous respect for people who believe uh, believe in a god and equal respect from people who don't. My, my parents, uh, well, my father definitely was didn't believe in a god, and my my mum, I'm not sure, but. Um, Science is magnificent. Uh, evolution is is magnificent, and and if there is a God, he's he or she is magnificent as well. Mm. And your dad every day, didn't he say, "Isn't life wonderful?" Yeah, um, but, but those were his favorite favorite words. And I've got I'm actually looking on a surfboard as I'm speaking with the words "Isn't life wonderful?" handwritten by him, um, yeah. but. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, life is indeed wonderful. So, Richard, I've just got a, um, the last quick-fire questions. What's the book in your life that's given you belief and hope? I've just read it, um, Adam Grant's Originals, which is, which is a great book. I think it can help you think differently to um, everybody else. And um, recently I sat down with him for a chat and... and it's so interesting hearing him speak about how so many inventors and in, innovators, how they thought and, 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 and the lessons he drew from it. So I think that there are lots of great books, but, but that would be definitely worth a read. And who's inspired you the most? Oh, I, 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 I would say my parents. Um, I mean, my, if I ever spoke ill of somebody when I was six or seven years old, they would send me to the mirror and tell me to look in the mirror and and, and they would say how bad it reflects on you and you're going to have to stand there for 10 minutes and look at yourself. And um, I think my, my, my parents in, um, inspired and, and influenced me the most. Yeah, your, your mum famously said, the flaws you see in others are actually a reflection in yourself. And I find this so interesting and, and very true, even though sometimes it's hard to admit when you're really dis, you know, thinking badly of someone and then you think, well, maybe I'm like that. I honestly can't think of a, 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 a truer word spoken. I mean, it, it's um, so it's so true. And I think you know, if you seek out the best in 
people, even in, in people that you think might be your enemies, you'll, you'll find the best. You know, I think one, 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 of, one of the best bits of advice I can give is if, if you have, if you feel you've fallen out with somebody, uh, it could be an ex-boyfriend, ex, you know, ex-girlfriend, um, could be an ex-husband, ex-wife or whatever. Everybody will always think, oh, it, it, they were, they were the ones at fault, not me. Of course, there's always two sides to the story. And give them a, give them a ring, go out to lunch with them and befriend them. Life is too short to have anybody uh, out there that, that you feel you, you've fallen out with. And you may not become best friends with them again, but there's no need to, to sort of put them on an enemy list. And, the, and you shouldn't have an enemy list. I mean, everybody's got wonderful, you know, wonderful sides to them. And, you know, and if you'd, if you'd actually, you know, slept with a person once or, you know, I mean, there, there must have been something pretty special there. And so go, go seek it again. That reminds me of your letter, Richard, that you wrote. I, I read this in your, your book, the letter that you wrote back to Trump, which was a very kind letter considering the letters that he has sent you to, you know, be, be nice back. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I, I think um, be courteous, be be kind. You know, the, the, it's a it's a small world, and um, you you as an individual will be the happier for it. And if you could name something that's improved your life, what would it be? It, it has it has has to be exercise. I mean, I you know I'm I'm approaching seventy one years old. I suspect I'm the fittest I've been in you know since I was in my twenties. I mean, this morning I got up at five o'clock and did a bike ride over the Virgin Gorda, which which has got some extreme extreme hills in it and I do that a couple of times a week and then come came back and you know played some singles tennis and and, and then had some breakfast got down to work and and you know through the day I'll I will work hard but I'll do some weights and gym work and and I know that you know because I spend maybe four hours a day doing something physical, maybe even five, I can be much, much more productive as a result and get many more hours of product, you know, really product, good productive time in. So if there was one, <laughs> one thing I could recommend to anybody, and that is find that time for yourself, you know, work out what your body looked like when you were 25 or maybe what your stomach looked like when you were 25 <laughs> and, 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 and get it and get, you know, just get yourself really fit and healthy and You'll feel great, and you'll be so much more productive. And um, you know, it's so much, it's so much less likely that you'll get niggly, niggly ailments. What would you do if you were not afraid? I most likely uh, would have killed myself many times over. <laughs> I thought you might um, say that. They, they, um, yeah, there was some, somebody recently who jumped jumped off the top of a building with a kite on, and um, I would love to be, I'd love to have followed him, but. There's, there's still a little bit of me which says I'm enjoying life too much to go and <laughs> kill myself in, 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 in too stupid a way. It's probably good to have a little bit of fear in there somewhere, Richard. A little bit of fear <laughs> is good. Thanks to Richard Branson for joining me on the podcast. Next week, I'll be speaking to epilepsy and medical cannabis advocate, Chelsea Leyland. Keep up to date by liking, reviewing and subscribing to Fear Itself on your favourite podcast app. I always love to hear from my listeners. Let me know what you think about the show, if you've been inspired by any of the conversations, or simply just get in touch to tell me a bit about you. You can find me on Instagram. You've been listening to Fear Itself, presented by me, Cresta Bonus. 
This podcast was produced by One Fine Play. Executive producer is James Bishop. Editorial producer and editor is Oli Giyu. Additional creative support from Selena Christophidis, Louise Berry, Jessica Williams, Emily Weller and Connor Foley. With music by Malt Martin. Thanks for listening. Thank you.